Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today we'll be discussing the art of description. This podcast will cover craft elements, personal anecdotes, and writing exercises. Please feel free to pause at any time, rewind, or otherwise engage with this lesson in a way that makes the most sense for you. Writing is not a one-size-fits-all art, so I hope you'll be able to shape this talk to meet your own writing needs. Description is a tricky thing. Because writing falls partway between a visual and an auditory media, there are certain things we as authors have to work doubly hard at to ensure our audience can imagine and understand the world we have asked them to step into. We don't have the advantage of a camera to capture exactly what we're describing like movies do, but neither is our media entirely dialogue or music the way a radio shows might be. As much as we're nearing an age of embedded hyperlinks in our stories that may solve this problem, we definitely need to think about the best ways we can describe images, monsters, or even people. So what do we do? We've all read descriptions before, some better than others. We may have experienced the romantic style, page-long descriptions of every character in a room, down to the history of the clothes they're wearing and who cut their hair. Similarly, we may have read books that don't bother with too much description, and we're left to come up with the ideas of what the characters and the settings look like on our own. Ideally, I think most readers would like to be somewhere in the middle. Enough description to get an idea, but not so much that their imaginations begin to fatigue before we've reached the important part of the writing. One way to keep readers from getting bogged down in unnecessary description is to make it active. Though it may seem like an obvious statement, I think it's worth pointing out that all the same rules governing good writing don't go away when we start to describe. Too often, a story will be sailing along just fine, keeping me interested, and then I reach a block of text where all that good work goes out the window. Suddenly, there are to-be verbs everywhere. His hair was tied in a topknot on the top of his head. Her eyes are green as summer ferns. Their shirts are ripped and singed in several places. That's fine for one or two lines. Sometimes you absolutely cannot get away from a telling sentence. And like we talked about before, sometimes a telling sentence actually makes the prose better. But you do want to focus on making your description work just as hard as anything else in your story. Focus on active verbs, words that make your descriptions do so much more than just describe. Try taking something or someone in your work that you want a description of. It doesn't have to be a big moment, just something you can get at least a paragraph or two out of. Now, write the description, but refrain from using any to-be verbs at all. If you hit am, are, is, was, or were, go back and restructure the sentence so you don't use it. See how much more you can get out of your descriptions by doing this. I'll give you an example of the way this exercise might sound. First, I'll write a description of a character from one of my old stories using those to-be verbs. Pay attention to when you become bored of the description and ready to move on, or when a phrase sounds particularly clunky. Here it goes. Seth was too cute to be in their line of work. His round face and quick smile were out of place in the dingy building, and when his rifle was strapped to his chest, the effect was even more jarring. The uniform was gray with black patches on the shoulders, a color which washed out Seth's warm skin. There was an extra 20 pounds of gear that made his already lean body seem smaller, so that by the time he was dressed and ready for patrol, Danny wondered how much help he would really be on the streets. So that's version one. What did you think? Did it feel smooth and natural? 
or did it feel like you were dragging to get on from one sentence to the next? Now, let me try the same description again, but using stronger verbs so that way my prose becomes much more active. Listen again. This line of work didn't suit Seth's camera-worthy face. His round cheeks and quick smile clashed with the dingy building, and with the standard-issue rifle strapped to his chest, he came close to comedy. The gray uniform and its extra 20 pounds of gear made his already lean body look even smaller, so that by the time he emerged from the locker rooms ready for patrol, Danny wondered how much help he could really offer on the streets. How was that? Did you notice the way the active verbs helped pull you into the description to pick up on the more interesting things underneath it? Suddenly, this isn't just a description of a new hire at this fictional work facility. This is a glimpse into the point of view characters, in this case a woman's named Danny's, opinions and concerns. That automatically makes this description more interesting because now it's acting on multiple different layers. I didn't have to add anything extra in there. By reframing the sentence to use more active verbs, it actually gave me no choice. It just happened because suddenly the visual couldn't be the entire point of the sentence. I had to add something else in there. This brings me to my next point. Description is a fantastic time to explore character, thought, background, and emotions. How we see something often reflects what we're feeling inside. There have been days I've woken up from too little sleep, thinking of the crises I have to handle that day, and the birds outside my window become annoying and frivolous. I want them to go away or at least shut up so I can work in peace. On other days, however, I wake up and stand on my back steps and love the way they sing. I feel the sun on my face and watch as the birds flit from tree to tree in my backyard, and I'm so happy they're there. The birds didn't change from one day to the next. It was my mindset that colored how I saw the scene. You can and should use this in your writing too. Your characters will see things differently based on what they've just been through or the way that they're feeling. This works especially well if things are played against opposites. A beautiful sunset that's clouded by lenses of grief, or a charred landscape that a character feels hopeful about because they're ready to rebuild and regrow. In addition, description is a useful tool for weaving in secondary plot lines or exposition. Because you always want your description to do more than simply describe, a good way to get that multi-layered effect we were talking about is to use your description to introduce crucial information to the audience or to further a subplot, which adds more tension to your work. Let's look at exposition first. We know that as writers, we want to be creative about how we weave exposition into our stories. Imagine we're on an alien planet, and I need to tell my readers about the big storms that have the capacity to cause real damage to the fragile populations of humans clinging to a terraformed existence. It might go something like this. Clouds loomed over Paxton's head. Dark ones, the kinds that lashed rain and screamed thunder and split the sky with crackling electricity. He looked down the row of plasticrete homes whose doors had already been shut, at the steel-reinforced shutters that had already been barred. No one stood outside today. No one waited for their loved ones to come home. No one leaned from the window to call good news to their friends. Whoever had made it inside was inside. And whoever hadn't, like him, would have to take their chances with the clouds. So in this passage, we've got a few things going on. We get the images of the clouds and the barren street. 
That's the description. Piggybacking on that description is the exposition of the storms and the little bits of information about the reinforcements that have gone into the houses to help them withstand the weather. After that, we get this rise in tension. Everyone is inside for the storm except for this character, and no one is going to let him in. In a few short sentences, we've been able to do all of that. Describe, exposit, and ratchet up tension. You can layer in as much or as little as your story needs, but you can see how description is a great tool for getting information to the audience. And the best part is, it doesn't feel like exposition because there's more than just telling going on there. Let's look at subplot next. As you can imagine, there is no shortage of ways to construct and weave in a subplot. It all depends on what your subplot is, or which one you're working with at the time. Is it romantic in nature, or is there an argument going on between the family? Could there be something happening at work that is distracting the character? Whatever your subplot, description is an excellent time to return to that tension. Description, by its nature, is a step back for readers. The pace slows, the sentences become more telling in nature, and the reader kind of knows they're going to get some information that will be important later. A great way to make this worth a reader's while is to increase tension on one of the other threads that may be going on in the story. Let's take the same passage we just looked at, the one on the fictional planet. Let's say that I need to advance a subplot. The main character's quarrel with his older brother that is quickly turning into more than just another family spat. In this case, the description might read something like this. Clouds loomed over Paxton's head. Dark ones, the kinds that lashed rain and screamed thunder and split the sky with crackling electricity. He looked down the row of plasticrete homes whose doors had already been shut, at the steel reinforced shutters that had already been barred. He wondered if Marley had found a place to cower too. The office buildings could stand up to the storm, and he still had his badge clearance. The town hall might shelter him too, if security let him in despite the warning. Either way, it didn't much matter. If Paxton didn't find his own hiding place, he'd be left to the storm's mercy, and he knew all too well it had none. Even though we don't know exactly what's going on, the pieces are starting to come together. This is what I mean when I say you don't actually need much to get the reader on board. In fact, a little uncertainty will keep the reader more engaged than explaining everything. You can see in this passage how little hints about the strife between the two characters, Paxton and Marley, enhances the description. Not only is the reader learning about the world, such as where the safe buildings are or which ones have security, but we are reflecting on the conflicts between the two characters as well. Paxton uses the word cower to describe Marley. We get the hint that there is some warning that security gave Marley that he may or may not listen to. At this point, even the storm becomes metaphorical. Things are bad with the family, so Paxton notices the clouds as a reflection of his own gloom. You can try this in your writing, too. Look through your existing work to find a section of description you feel may be lacking. If you have multiple subplots, determine which would be best served at this point in your story. If you only have a single subplot, then that's great, too, and you can use that one. Next, rewrite your piece of description piece by piece so that you weave this subplot through as much of the description as you can. It's better to have too much over not enough at this point. You can always trim back, but adding more is difficult. Once you have a good chunk of prose written, take a look and see how it's working. What information were you able to give the reader? 
What different paths does this method open up for you? Hopefully, you can see your pros start doing more than just describing. It can come alive in ways that you don't expect. As you foray further into playing with all the ways description can work for you, one thing to keep in mind is that you don't have to describe every single blade of grass for your audience to get it. In fact, you shouldn't spend a whole lot of time on details your audience already knows. That will make your description feel static because they're not learning anything new. A forest full of pine trees? You can do that in half a sentence. A forest glowing with the presence of bioluminescent worms that sings with magic and glimmers with fairy wings? might take a few paragraphs for the reader to understand. A good rule of thumb is the more strange, the more time the description requires. An alien species just landed on Earth will likely need to be referred to over and over again before the audience begins to feel familiar with them. If they are an integral part of the story, especially as a protagonist or a point of view character, coming back to those descriptions will be crucial. This is a good way to ensure you aren't overusing description, but making the most out of the places that need it. Fun fact, movies do this in a shorthand. When they're working with something that isn't human, the more human they can make it look, the less time they need to spend with that character. So if we have an alien and we want the audience to like them, they will often make it humanoid because we associate that with the familiar. If a movie has an alien that is truly alien, it doesn't look anything like what we are familiar with, then either it's usually a villain or we have to spend a lot of time with that entity in order to understand it. Your description is the same. So the more far out something is, the more you should spend describing it. Not all at once, obviously, but you can come back to it. Though it may seem like that's something that only applies to genre writers, literary writers can use the same idea. For example, if your character is coming face-to-face -face with your antagonist for the first time, what are the features that make them stand out? What are the things you would tell an artist trying to capture their likeness? Clothes can say a lot about a person. They're a basic form of self-expression. So does this character dress for comfort or style? Or both? Do they carry big bags with everything they might need or just a wallet and a phone? How about tattoos, piercings, scars? What traits exist that can tell us the start of this person's story? Those are the places that you want to focus. Homes are a great place to add description as well. We decorate our homes in ways that make us feel safe and comfortable. We cover the wall with art that makes us feel happy. Is your character a TV in the bedroom person or not? I know I'm not. I actually really don't like having TVs in places that I sleep. Otherwise, I don't sleep. Maybe they have a wall with artifacts they brought back from travel. Description is an amazing way to learn more about a character without delving too far into exposition. If you are describing something familiar to the reader, but that description is crucial for some reason, focus on ways that you can defamiliarize it. How is this place, which may on its surface seem like just another room or store or park, significant? What is your character seeing that we wouldn't if we were standing there? When done well, this technique of focusing small can be done to really great emotional effect. Imagine a park, a character walking around the playground, and he sees a baby's shoe. As he moves forward past the clinking chains holding the swings and towards the play structure, he sees a bottle cracked on the side. A little further under the plastic slide, a teddy bear with one ear ripped off. 
See how interspersing something normal and familiar, in this case a playground, with these different objects creates a sense of tension. There's no action, no dialogue moving the scene along. I'm doing it all with description. And yet we still feel the urgency of the moment. Something happened here. Where's the child that these things have to belong to? Writing small in this way helps you control the tension of your narrative. You can slow drip these reveals the way a camera can pan slowly around a room until it shows a person standing in the corner and the audience all gasps. The last thing I'd like to talk about regarding description is the syntax itself. Remember that every word, every line, every sentence in a story should either increase tension, advance the plot, reveal character, or some combination of all three. This is true with description as well, though I find that oftentimes authors show themselves too much in description. Especially to those of you writing historical fiction, genre fiction, or some other story where the setting is not the exact time and place where you live, be careful of your words. Let me give you an example. Say you're writing a period piece set in Europe in the 1500s. You find it is crucial for you to describe a sitting room because much of the plot happens there. You need to describe what we today would call a couch. Do you call it a couch? How about a sofa? A settee? Which word is the most appropriate to use given your time frame? Turns out the word sofa won't exist until the 1800s. So while you can take some artistic license, the word sofa historically would not enter your character's thoughts. Sete, too, is way too late. The word originates in the early 1800s in France. Couch, then, is technically the right answer since the word couch has been around since the 1300s. There's only one problem. Couch sounds modern. It's a word we still use and many of us associate it with our day-to-day -day routines. You can, of course, do whatever you want, and I have used the word couch in historical stories before. This is not me saying there is a correct answer here, and were it my story, I, like I said, I've used couch before, I might go with sofa because I like the connotations of that word the best. I only wanted to bring to your attention the way that each and every word, including those in descriptions, influence the way readers understand and engage with our stories. I have a personal experience with this too. A few months ago, I workshopped a fantasy piece among several colleagues. There's a part in the story where a woman takes a dress off a hanger. I didn't think much of it. It's barely half a line and I really only put it in there so there wasn't a strange break in action from the action before the dress to the action after the dress. Imagine my surprise when one of the other writers tells me that sentence was a major problem for her. She said that clothes hangers didn't exist until 1873, and because she knew that, it completely shattered her ability to believe in this Renaissance Italy-esque setting for the story. When I looked it up, I found out that she's right. Clothes hangers didn't exist until 1873. And so then I had to ask myself, do I keep the hanger in and risk this same thing happening to somebody who knows when hangers came around? Or do I rework the scene so that way it fits more along the historical lines that I'm going for? I'm not saying you have to agonize over every single word, nor look up when each and every invention entered human consciousness. You'll make yourself crazy if you do. But what I am saying is to keep in the back of your mind what your characters are seeing and how they're seeing it. An amazing description adds so much to the story. I encourage you to push yourselves to experiment with your descriptions. What can you do with them beyond the act of just capturing a still image? 
I hope this talk was helpful to you, and remember, you're always welcome to go back, give it another listen, pause, rewind, and otherwise engage with this talk in a way that makes the most sense for you and your work at the moment. Um, I apologize for the slow upload schedule. We are kind of going through life at the moment, so my hope is that these will get more regular uploads very soon. I hope to go back to weekly uploads, um, but... Thank you for those that have stayed with me and are still here for the podcast. Um, to anyone who's new, welcome. And I look forward to seeing you all in the next one. So I hope you all have a lovely day. And if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you all next time. Mm -hmm.